gentlemen, live from North Hollywood, it's the Nighttime Show with your host, Stephen Kramer Glickman. I'm the voice of the Nighttime Show, Mike Black. We also have with us our head writer, Matt Walker, and the host himself, Stephen Kramer Glickman. But first, a television legend star of Babylon 5, Land of the Lost, and Chekhov on the original Star Trek, ladies and gentlemen, Walter Koenig. And now, the host of the nighttime show, a man who takes at least three dumps to get into the transporter, <laughs> Mr. Stephen Kramer Glickman! It is true, Ooh. I don't fit into a regular transporter. How's everybody doing? You guys Hello? good, boys? Doing very great. Um, uh, we've had a, a very successful week. This has been a big week for us. Uh, we just did the nighttime show live at the Hollywood Improv with uh, Tom Green and uh, some wonderful people, and it was mm-hmm. completely sold out. Super fun. Darth Vader was here, but today we're not talking about Star Wars. We're talking about Star Trek, and we have uh, Walter Koenig here, and and we're in your home, in your office, which is amazing. It's everything I could ever have would would ever want it to be, and oh, so much more. Um, this is your dream office. This is my dream office. I mean, we're surrounded by. Uh, uh, let's let's just give give the people a little idea of what we're looking at around us. So, uh, to our left, we have uh, what what are, what are these? These are figurines from all sorts of different. Uh, Maybe let the guy who collects. Yeah, please, them Walter. Tell you. Walter, will you tell us? Tell the people like a little bit about what's around the us. The guy who actually knows what these things are. Yeah, please. Well, you know, I I, I grew up in the forties, and uh, and I uh, the the first thing I collected, I most most of my collection. You know, ninety percent of my collection has to do with comic strip character stuff, or comic book character stuff, yeah. or superhero stuff. And um, when I was seven or eight years old, Kellogg's cereal ha- had a particularly bad se- tasting cereal called Pep. <laughs> <laughs> the worst cereals had the best premiums because there was no way they could sell the cereal otherwise. So they had little pinback buttons on the, in the inside the bottom of the box. And I would go into the supermarket and surreptitiously open the bottom of the box and withdraw the pinback button. And, so you were uh, a thief as a child. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And I took great pride in, in my success until I got caught. And then they, they took me to the, to the storage room where they hung up all the beef and, and the pork and they said they were going to hang me on one of these things and keep me oh, wow. there until the police arrived. I was about 10 at the time. and um, Where was this? This is in New York City. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. of course. That's <laughs> where else would it be? And uh, so they finally released me to the, in, into the custody of my brother, who was six years older, who was also there, who f- f- initially denied knowing me. <laughs> <laughs> but then I, had my, then I started contests with my friends to see who could... Who could steal the most pinback buttons for me? And, uh, you know, and I awarded them with a very vigorous handshake or something. Um, and then from there, you know, went on and I collected big little books, which were precursors to comic books. And they were these little cardboard, three, three by four inches tall. And uh, you could get those at the five and dime at Woolworths. Oh, and I never gorgeously got, displayed. I never, too. I never got to steal any of those. I had to pay for them. <laughs> but they were only a dime, so it was, yeah. it was okay. So, but all that stuff went out, you know, when, when, um, when I graduated high school and went off to college. 
my mother threw them all down the incinerator. <laughs> so in 1967, I began again, and my 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 wife actually brought me the uh, bought me the first uh, big little book, and I've been recollecting since 1960. So I have a I have hundreds and hundreds of figurines. Some of them date back to the late 20s and early 30s. Bisque comic strip characters um, that were produced in Germany. They were absolutely terrific. The, the detail is, is wonderful. And then some uh, wood composition figures called Sirocco figures and uh, some tin wind-up toys and, and the buttons. The buttons were the primary collect collectible for a long time. I have uh, I don't know. I don't. Know. I haven't counted them. I have them in a big three by four plexiglass case, and there's about twelve or thirteen or fourteen hundred. And the uh, characters go back to the pulp the era. Characters actually know. go back to 1896 to, to wow. the Yellow Kid. There's a wow. set of Yellow Kid uh, pinbacks. Oh my and God. then uh, when I when I had this second floor built on, we we built on these cabinets, and um, and that's where I have a lot of this stuff. So that's what it's about. It's about comic strip character stuff, and even dabbled a little bit uh, in in the superheroes, mainly yeah. Golden Age. Uh, I made some concession to Silver Age, uh, uh, DC. The, what I have, what I have not collected with with enthusiasm, are 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 the Marvel stuff. I, uh, yeah. I don't have a great affinity for that because it's just beyond my time. Uh, right. I, sure. I go back to the old guys. Wow. Yeah. It's it's incredible. So you heard it here first. DC's better than Marvel. According yeah. To Walter <laughs> Koenig. Absolutely. One hundred percent. Debate settled, nerds. There yeah. You go. <laughs> well, did you, well, a little known fact that, that you might you might know it. it doesn't have to do with DC or Go or, or Marvel, but the fact that Dan Reed, who was the Lone Ranger's nephew, mm -hmm. was the great uncle. Um, I know this. The Green Hornet. <laughs> yeah, that's a great fact. I was always kind of hoping they would do a movie incorporating both characters, with like uh, one that took place during Lone Ranger era and another that like wrapped up a case in the Green Hornet era or something. Well, they did actually. They did did make they really? They couldn't release it because it turned out to be uh, a movie that involved pedophile pedophiles. Oh, oh god! And what? The Green wow. Hornet yeah. had another side to him. Wow, it's a very different. I'll go on. No, please. Wow, no one knew this. This is news. No, because I'm making it up on the spot. Okay. You had me so Wow, I was like, I was like, I can't believe they made this movie. I was like, was this the 40s? When did this happen? Like Roman Polanski directed a Green Hornet. I was like, in the 60s, they did a lot of experimental stuff. Maybe that's when this happened. You never know. I was so ready to start googling. About when, do, where do I find this move? When you find this bizarre <laughs> Green well, Hornet I, pedophile movie? I remember movie. the Lone Ranger and Green Hornet from the radio. I mean, I yeah, I used to listen to the radio and all those shows. Oh yeah, the Shadow and uh, oh yeah. All those, yeah, yeah. The first one in the afternoon was Superman. That came on after the soap opera Lorenzo Jones and his wife Belle, and that was from, <laughs> that was from four thirty to quarter of five, and Superman was from. 4.45 to 5 o'clock. See, now I don't know if you've made up Lorenzo Jones and his <laughs> no, no, wife. No, no, no. <laughs> no, that was true. No. Helen Trent and Argyle Sunday. I, I, you know, 
my life was really about the radio in those days. Oh yeah. <laughs> did you get your start in radio? Is that did you get your start that way, or did you get your start in in acting? No, I was screen? too I was too young to get my start in radio. Um, now the first thing, the first professional acting. Well, the first professional acting job I did, and it's in my it's in my autobiography. Was I was in drama school in New York, neighborhood mm-hmm. playhouse, and in my class were James Kahn, Dabney Coleman, Chris Lloyd. Uh, Jessica Walter, Brenda Vaccaro, and Elizabeth Ashley. Wow. All, all became movie yeah. stars. Yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. I, was a, I placed a poor seventh in that class. <laughs> uh, but we only had like 60 students, so that was, it was pretty good. Pretty good yeah, proportion. Good mm-hmm. odds. For, you know. Well, I was broke, and I was living on, literally living on $75 a month. And I was I, subleasing an apartment, and I, and I shared it with another actor. And we paid twenty nine dollars a month for the apartment, and the rest was bus fare and uh, canned salmon and canned tuna, and that's, and that's what we lived on while we were going to drama school. Mm-hmm. And then, and then I had a job uh, as an orderly at, at uh, Mount Sinai in, uh, Hospital in New York, and learned that I I could indeed put thermometers into living, breathing people and withdraw them from corpses. Uh, wow. It was an extraordinary experience in terms of... I, 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 had, I had just assumed that my limitations in dealing with life and death matters was very, very limited. I didn't know that I could, I could adjust and sort of turn off. And, uh, and, because you had to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You just couldn't, you couldn't live with that stuff. Anyway, that's all beside the point. My point is my, my first acting job was I was graduating from drama school and, um, and I, had, I had no money and, uh, and I, was, I was anticipating returning to the West Coast because uh, I had finished at UCLA, I finished mm-hmm. college at UCLA and I needed to make some money and I had a friend who worked construction, a kid that I had known from when we were six years old in New York, and he worked construction. I said, what's the possibility of one of those rivets falling from the building and hitting somebody? And he said, it could happen. It could absolutely happen. We had to be careful about that. So I worked it out. I, I worked it out that he gave me one of those rivets, those eight-pound rivets. <laughs> and I, I, the reason why I brought up uh, Jimmy and Chris and Dabney is because I asked them to be my eyewitness. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to have this accident. <laughs> and uh, uh, Jimmy thought it was uh, a great idea, but he wouldn't have any part of it. <laughs> Dabney <laughs> preached to me about you know, how serious this was and that I could get arrested. Chris thought it was hysterical. But he, <laughs> of but course. He, but he of wouldn't course. help me either. <laughs> so I got a guy who was in the, grade be- in the, in the class below me. We, it was a two-year school whose name was Hugh. And he ended up being a beat poet named Wavy Gravy. I've heard that name. <laughs> yes. Of course. And he thought it was cool. Mm-hmm. He introduced yeah. me to marijuana, by the way, <laughs> which wasn't a very successful introduction. I, 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 I couldn't sustain an interest in it. But he said he would be my eyewitness, so we would watch, he would see this happen. So I stepped off the, the curb and 6th Avenue, having gone into the bar next door, cut my uh, cheek with a razor blade, held a newspaper up to my face so you couldn't see the blood and had the, and the rivet under my arm. And the, the whole point was that Hugh was supposed to stand, to walk behind me and see me walk into the street and get hit by this thing, <laughs> falling from the building. Well, he panicked. 
you see this cool beat poet panicked. <laughs> oh my god. And he walked in front of me and he didn't see it happen. He just panicked. So I had to scream, <laughs> And then I fell to the ground and the ribbit fell to the ground and the blood was pouring out of my face. And um, went to the hospital. My brother was working as an intern or as a resident at a hospital in the Bronx. And so I got the insurance company to, to give me some money. And, <laughs> oh my God. Wow. Yeah. What's and the statute of limitations as, as, as on insurance res- fraud? As a result of that, I, I bought a, a terrible car, an Anglia, an English Ford, which cost me as much money in the six months that I had it as, yeah. as I got from the insurance. <laughs> Oh my God! So yeah. you got your comeuppance if the insurance company yes, is still yes. mad about it. Yes, for, for all of your Bible beater <laughs> listeners out there, yeah. <laughs> I was punished for my. <laughs> but if you consider that it was we have US, a very was, religious fan base, yeah. so. I'm sure was, you can tell. You consider that it was U.S. Steel who paid me, who paid me uh, for it. You know, I, 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 I have no conscience about it. Yeah, no way. <laughs> uh, but yes, that was, it was street theater, and I got paid for it. It was my first job. I love it. And I when did you it. come back to Los Angeles? Well, I came back as soon as I had, I the, money. You had the money. Yeah. Well, actually, actually, this story, and I'll, I'll make it as short as I can, this story is the baptism of a fire that actors will go through at some juncture in their life. Uh, while I was at the Playhouse, Sid Pollock, Sidney Pollock, mm-hmm. the director, mm-hmm. was my teacher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, the, the two days, literally two days after I graduated, I got a telegram from a, from a theatrical agency in New York called Schwartz Luskin saying they had an, an audition for me for a movie that John Frankenheimer was directing. And I thought, that I, it was a telegram because I didn't have a phone. And uh, so I thought, this is amazing. Well, I went there and I found out that it was Sid Pollack who had recommended me mm-hmm. for this. And it was a movie yeah. with Shelley Winters and Burt Lancaster about hoodlums. And I had done a, something at the Neighborhood Playhouse, a showcase, in which uh, I could see where he uh, thought that I might be right for this film. Well, he wanted me for film. Frankenheimer said, okay. Um, and then we're going to shoot it in New York. And... And Sid asked me that I should call him every other day to, to let him know that I was still around and that he would let me know when the start date was. Well, after about two weeks of waiting, he uh, answered, one of my calls, answered one of my calls and said that um, they decided they were going to shoot it in L.A. instead of New York. And if I could get out there, I would still be in the movie. And I thought, okay, uh, I was intending to go back to L.A. anyway. So I got back there, and this is, the, this is the baptism of fire part. He had me calling him every other day. In the meantime, uh, somehow somebody recommended me for a play, uh, uh, Rainmaker. And oh, it was yeah. a part that Earl Holliman, if you know film at all, you might know Earl Holliman played in the movie with yeah. Catherine Hepburn and Burt Lancaster. Yeah. Uh, later on. But anyway, uh, and I said, well, do you think I'm right for this? And then this guy is... He eats twelve. And he eats a dozen eggs for breakfast and, and a stack of pancakes. And I, I don't think uh, physically that I'm right for the role. He said, "No, no, no we'll get we'll get short actors to play the opposite." <laughs> <laughs> so the day came. I was supposed to go to my first rehearsal for the Rainmaker, and I thought, well, I would call Sid just before I went and see how we were coming with the idea of my being in the movie. And uh, he said, "Oh, Walt, gee, I." Uh, I was going to call you. Um, 
I can't, we can't use you in the movie. And I said, why? And he said, well, we can't use, I can't cast extras. Extras? When the, yeah. <laughs> was it decided that I was going to be an extra? I thought I was going to have a speaking role being this character called Big Dom, who was, a, who was a little guy who was the head of the gang. So I left my house reeling. Actually, it was my mother's house. I was living with her at the time. I left it reeling from the fact that I wasn't going to be in the movie. I got the rehearsal, and everybody's already sitting around the table rehearsing. And I went to the director. And I said, what's, what's going on? Am I late? He says, oh, no, gee, I, I meant to call you. Uh, I had to recast the role. <laughs> so within an hour of each other, lost I, I lost two parts. Oh, I lost man. the oh. movie, and I lost the play. Oh, and, my God. Um, I left there thinking, well, if I'm still going, still want to be an actor tomorrow, <laughs> then I know I'm fated to be an actor. Because yeah. right then, I was devastated. I mean, yeah. I, just, I just couldn't believe this has happened. But indeed, that's exactly what happened. And in the course of 24 hours, I said, screw it, I'm still an actor. <laughs> and um, struggled along. Uh, wow. Now, on, uh, on your IMDb, uh, <laughs> your, your first credit on IMDb is the Norman... Vincent Peale story. Do you know what that is? Yeah. What, when, uh, what, what was that? that? And it's that and Combat, the TV series. Okay. Well, the Norman Vincent Peale was the first feature I did. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the, Norman Vincent Peale was a famous preacher, was a famous uh, minister. Uh, and Don Murray, the actor, I think his name was Don Murray, was a, a, a very well-known actor at the time. Uh, played played Don uh, played uh, a minister, and I played God, and uh, I had the long robes and the beard, and I no, that's not true. Uh, <laughs> I was like, you've been demoted every part since. <laughs> like, you start I, off as God, and you can't. I played a parishioner, and I come out of church, <laughs> right. and I say it's a one it was a wonderful sermon, uh, Mister Peel, and, and that was my part. I love yeah. it. I love it. Well, yes. our, our Bible beating audience is going to be thrilled yeah. <laughs> about this. Too. Yeah. And then he went on to uh, no, that, you went yeah. on to guest star in a bunch of television, like you did Alfred Hitchcock Presents or the yeah, Hitchcock was, Hour, that, that whatever. Was later we, on, do you do you do that a lot? Do you ever do that? Like, do you do that often? Where you say, like, someone goes, "Oh, were you on this show?" You go, "Yeah, I played this," and you just make something up. Yeah, I do that all the time. I sometimes because I used to be on. He's this, done it twice already. I know. Yeah. I, I used to be on this uh, Nickelodeon show called Big Time Rush and sometimes people will come up to me and they'll go hey do I know you from this th-? and I'll go yeah I was on a Gold Rush show on Discovery Channel where we <laughs> dig for gold in the mountains and, uh, and I got I got a horrible horrible contagious disease from it and it's really nice to meet you and I'll t- go to touch them and they'll go ah it's not at all who I thought you were but it's really fun that's it. I, <laughs> I do it all the time. No, it's the best. Yeah. You're the best. And I just love the, the reaction. The mouths drop and the eyes <laughs> yeah. go wide. Yeah. What? Yeah, <laughs> right. I can't believe that you did that. But in, in uh, the combat thing, the interesting thing about the combat, it was directed by Robert Altman. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah, long before he'd gotten into films. Did he do a lot of episodes or just the one you were in? No, I think he did a lot of episodes. Okay. I didn't know who he was. I didn't even know that Robert Redford... Oh, no, Robert Redford was in a, an episode of The Untouchables that mm-hmm. I did. Uh, we never met. But, yeah. but he was... But Robert Waltman was the director of The Combat. Mm-hmm. And it was, again, a very small part. I played, I played somebody who was a sentry on duty and very nervous. 
And I said to him, um, I didn't know who he was, but I'd come from drama school where we were always encouraged to experiment and, and be creative. And I said to him, uh, although the part didn't call for, I said, do you mind if I, I added a stutter to the character? And he said, no, do what you want, you know, <laughs> which was sort of uh, a, um, a, uh, an indication of the kind of director he was going to be. Because he, did a, he did a lot of improvisation yeah. with his actors and so on. So I, 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 I added the stutter that probably went on, went on too long, but he let me do it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that, those are the, 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 the things that I did very, very early and, uh, and The Untouchables which was a, mm -hmm. uh, a big show at the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Robert again, Stark. again, was a very small part. Yeah. And then uh, was The Lieutenant like your first big breakout role where you had something recurring? or No, I, had, I, I did th three episodes in the course of two years on a series called Mr. Novak. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a very uh, highly acclaimed series which received a lot of awards because it, it, it dealt with the high school and... and uh, um, James Franciscus and Dean Jagger were the leads, and uh, God, I don't know if you guys know even though names <laughs> resonate at all, but they were important. No, Burgess actors. Meredith was on it as well. Burgess Meredith, yeah. Well, he took over for Dean Jagger, right? Okay. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, um, but but that's an interesting story because it's it's it gives you an indication of how capricious this business is, how extraordinarily capricious it is. And how, you know, you can go a whole lifetime being a brilliant actor working in little theater and never really achieving anything. Mm -hmm. And then by a stroke of luck, circumstances, whatever, your life changes and, um, and you, be, you develop a career that sustains you for 50 years. I, I was a friend of mine named Jody Augusta was a casting director. He brought me in from the first Mr. Novak show. It was a part of a Russian student, a defecting Russian student. And I read for the director, and the part was a very uptight kid. You know, mm -hmm. in the Soviet Union, we do not do this. You know, we do not have people talk in class. Uh -huh. You know, you have to be called on. And what is it with you? And one of the lines was, I, I can't remember. It was the line that I remembered for years about Americans. And anyway, I read, and the director really liked it. He said, God, that's good. That's right on mine and what, what I'm looking for. And that was on a Monday. Well, it turned out that they didn't have a finished script. So he decided to continue to look at actors. And they looked at actors on Tuesday and Wednesday. And then he got a guy came in, and I know his name, but I'm not going to repeat it, who um, was a Greek actor, actually from Greece. And he came in and he read, and he read it very flamboyantly. Mm -hmm. And flamboyantly is, is, is yeah. a euphemism. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, we get it. Yeah. Right. A la George Takei. <laughs> well, but George is always very not then yet. Yeah, yeah, very, he played everything very yes. straight in those days. In any case, and he was all over the place. And my friend Joe said they want you back, but this kid had played this part this way, and he's probably going to ask you to do that. And I said, oh. And I went in, and sure enough, I played it the way, first way I had done it. And he says, well, can you do this? And can you kind of run around the room and bang into the wall? And I. <laughs> And if, if, I had, if I had thought that the director had come up with this idea, I would have tried it. Yeah, right. Because that's my job as an actor. Yeah. But knowing that they wanted me to replicate what another actor had done, yeah. I, I felt offended by it. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I felt that it would be prostituting. I really would be prostituting my craft. And yeah. I said, no, I can't do that. He says, well, if you don't do it, I can't consider you for the role. And I said, well, que sera. <laughs> and, and he says, well, nice seeing you. And I left. Mm -hmm. And he cast the other kid. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, uh, the weekend went by, and then I called Joe, and I said, from what you told me, this, I, I, this, I don't know how this kid could have played, could play this role. I would love to come in and see him work. Because you, one of the lines was, Chaco, not Chekhov, but uh, whatever, Alexei said was, you people live in a world of dreams, uh, you Americans. And I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking, how do you, how do, you do, do that you, line and bounce off the walls? Yeah. You know? right. So Joe said, oh, you didn't hear? And I said, hear what? Well, Dean Jagger, Dean Jagger became ill, and they postponed that episode because he had a big part in it. Six weeks later, Dean Jagger is, is okay. New director, Michael O'Hurley. Joe calls me back in. I read one line. He says, you're cast. <laughs> Three years after that, Joe D'Augusta casts me in, as Chekhov in, in Star Trek. Wow. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Yeah. Can, can, I mean, that's wow. how yeah. amazing this life is. Yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. Wow. <laughs> it's like if one of those little things happened yeah. to happen. Yeah. That is amazing. Yeah, yeah it could have gone. Huh. That could have gone so many different ways. Chekhov could have been very flamboyant. That could have been an entire. <laughs> yeah. thing. Well, as a, as a matter as a matter of fact, and that's another He's quick story. Uh, I, I guess you don't mind if I no, go please do. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Come on. Uh, I, I I they gave me the pages for Chekhov, and again, it was a, a very serious situation. Uh, 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 Captain, the ship is about to blow up. What mm-hmm. are we going to do? And a young ensign. And uh, so I went in thinking, well, this is a very serious guy. And uh, so my teeth were clenched. My, my brow was furrowed. Uh, my eyes were steel, steely, but with some trepidation, crossing my face. You know, I, obviously I've told this story before. But <laughs> please, <laughs> I'm please. so glib about yeah. it. Anyway, so I read it that way. And everybody was, and there was about six people in the room, including Joe Pevney, who I worked for on the Alfred Hitchcock Hour, and uh, Gene Roddenberry and Joe D'Augusta. And that the room was, there was dead silence. I thought, well, I really have them awestruck. You know, I I had them not being able to find the words to say how brilliant Mm -hmm. I was. And in fact, what they really were thinking was, this is what, they they didn't have this in mind at all. Mm -hmm. And they said to me, well, can you make it funny? Now... (laughs) The difference between this and the Novak was this was coming from the producer. Yeah, you know? right. Yeah. And they were looking for something for the character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I said, okay. And my, <laughs> my reading was, Captain, guess what? The sheep is about to blow up. <laughs> <laughs> my hand to God, that's what got me the <laughs> Oh, my God. Now, I've that's also amazing. read, and you can dispel or confirm this rumor, that your similarity in looks to Davy Jones helped you get the role. Absolutely. Yeah. It's absolutely wow. true. Uh, they were looking for, a, 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 they, it was a demographic. They were mm-hmm. looking for somebody who would appeal to the same group of, of fans. And that was like the 8 to 12 year olds. Mm-hmm. And when my mail started coming in, it was indeed on, uh, on, on, in pencil and on line paper. And, <laughs> and it was all about how groovy I was. <laughs> and how groovy my hair was, which for the first six shows was a woman's wig. Yeah. Uh, oh, my God. Is that true? Really? Yeah. Oh yeah, my, my hair was God. short. And, uh, so, and so I spent, the, after we took the wig off, my hair grew out. Well, I had already started to lose it. I was mm-hmm. thin on the back. So we started to comb it forward. And uh, spray it with uh, Nestle's 
streaks and tips, which, which covered up the bald spot. And was delicious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So, so when I started making the movies, I, 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 I got a hairpiece. Yeah. By then, yeah. was, you know. Hey, um, man, this is a lot of fun. Are you having a good time there, Matt I'm Walker? I'm having a great time. Man, oh, man, do I love uh, recording episodes of the Nighttime Show podcast. But you know what I love doing even more than that? What do you love more than that? Popping open a bottle of Fireball whiskey, which I happen to have with me right here. <laughs> that and is you know a bottle what? of Fireball. It is. It's a big bottle. It says Fireball whiskey, and it is yummy, yum, yums, uh, cinnamon flavor. I'm actually, I don't know if you... I don't know if you can hear it, but if I hold up the bottle, you can hear the bottle talk. Hang you on, can't I'm hear a bottle hold, talk. Hold. Wait, shh. Just listen real quiet. Oh, what's happening, everybody? How are y'all doing tonight? Hey, there's my Whoa. bottle of Fireball hey, whiskey. That bottle's talking. That's That's a crazy. real bottle that can talk. Yeah, That's amazing. What's happening, Matt? You said you were having a good time, right? I am having a good time. You want to have a great time? Yeah, you want to have a great time? You got to... Pop the, we're going to pop this bottle up, and I'm going to put you in my mouth. Yeah. You ready for that? Oh, I've been ready my whole bottle oh, up. <laughs> I want oh. you so deep down my oh. throat. Here oh. we go. I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it all. Oh. Give it to Here me, baby. I'm, I'm opening it. Oh, can you smell it? Oh. <laughs> well, you swallowed that whole bottle of Fireball. That's amazing. Well, it was a, a nice. It's a lot of Fireball, and it's down in my belly. Are you down there? Steven. This is a blast, man. Thanks for swallowing me. Hey, how's it going in my uh, in my stomach? How is it down there? Oh, it's really great. Hey, did you go to In-N-Out? <laughs> I did. Oh, man, lucky me. Yeah, you better enjoy some of that, buddy. Those are for yeah, for y'all. <laughs> this is great, man. Let's for get loose. Let's get loose. Let's have a good time. I'm going to shake my belly around. Oh, wait, oh, 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 oh. Hey, you see a TV guide in there? Yeah. Whoa! Yeah, actually, yeah, I do. One of the it's dog a TV guy. There's a TV and a TV in there. Turn around, you can see it Darn. on the wall. Cool. Um, it's Sanyos, I believe. <laughs> Sanyos <laughs> Fireball. What do you see on the TV? Oh my gosh! Looky me. What is this? A, get out! Is it? Are you, is it an old episode you, of Quantum oh, Leap? Yeah. Whoa! Is he ever gonna get back? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But enjoy that, buddy. And thanks for being in my stomach. Fireball whiskey. It's a party in your stomach and a party in your heart. Fireball whiskey. Bye. All right, let's get back to the show. Now, part of the reason that Chekhov was brought in, uh, this is the story I've always heard, is that because George was off working on the Green Berets, he wasn't going to be there for the first six episodes of season two. Right. They need somebody to fill in. Right. And that's part of what led to you. And then he comes back after six weeks, and apparently you two were forced to share a dressing room, and he was not happy about that. Is that true? Well, yeah, that's true. I didn't know that. I mean, I didn't know that he was not happy about it. Yeah. And it makes me a little uncomfortable because I never... Uh, <laughs> well, on the one hand, I have a, a, a considerable respect for his professionalism mm -hmm. because he got the short end on, on a lot of occasions. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I did get to do those parts mm -hmm. and a lot of them had, had been written in advance for George and uh, the first six, seven weeks and, and, and they got a chance to see me and to see me work mm -hmm. and uh, liked what I had done and... and well, it was still a couple of months before we went on the year, but those were in the can, and yeah. fans that we were aiming at re responded favorably. Uh, but George never never indicated to me that he was upset ab mm -hmm. about this. Yeah. Um, I was just grateful to have a, you know a, a, a role that they kept calling me back for, mm -hmm. because I was told that it might recur. You know, I didn't have right. a contract, mm -hmm. sure. but it might recur. 
And that each and each week when I, they were passing out the scripts for the next show at the end of the week, I'd look and Chekhov was still there. I said, "Well, this is great." <laughs> Some red shirt got yeah. it instead. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we didn't know about red shirts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, as far as um, uh, first impressions, like first first day of work. Do you remember that for like the first day that you were there? Had like, you been uh, watching the show before that? No, or? I had not been watching the show. I had flipped channels and saw the styrofoam rocks and said, <laughs> "Forget about it." Hilarious. I'm not going to watch this. When, I, when I, you, I, I wasn't like, that. I wasn't that involved in the world of science fiction to begin with. No, I of course. I mean, I read Bradbury. You mm-hmm. know, I read The Illustrated Man, and uh, and I loved it as a kid. Uh, Ray Bradbury, um, but. I I I I wasn't that fond, at that point. I wasn't that fond of science fiction. Well, science yeah. fiction on television up to that point had not. I mean, there was a little, there was a little here and a little there, but nothing. Yeah. nothing I love Twilight Zone. I thought yeah. Twilight Zone was sure. brilliant, oh, yeah, that but that wasn't really science fiction. It I was, mean, they had their occasional yeah, aliens, but yeah, no, yeah. nothing in comparison to yeah. you know. It's a cookbook. Yeah. It's a cookbook. <laughs> no. Um. Here's so, but like first day, as far as like we can just kind of walk through it a little bit. Gene Roddenberry, uh, what was your first impression, or what was what was that like? Congenial. Uh, we didn't see him that often. He'd come down maybe once a week, you know, and sit around for an hour or so and be friendly. Uh, would he give notes on set? No. Would, so he would, he would leave it to them to well, do. Well, the directors never gave notes. You know, uh, in fact, the, my first season we had two directors, Mark Daniels and and Joe Pevney. Joe Pevney, I had done uh, the guest, uh, done a lead on the Alfred Hitchcock Hour for, mm-hmm. and he had cast me in that. I played a, a hoodlum, a leader of a gang, which the script had been written by Harlan Ellison. Yeah, and that's how I met Harlan, who wrote and City we, on the Edge of Forever. Oh my right. god! Amazing. Yeah. And we have a, we've had a very rocky relationship for thirty five years, <laughs> you know, or forty years. Uh, very volatile relationship. Yeah. Uh, because he is very difficult. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think everyone has had a volatile relationship that has a relationship with him. I think that's how yeah, I would describe right. it. Yeah. But I had so much respect for his intellect and for his creativity that I took a lot of shit that I shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I think we finally reconciled after all this time. He's not terribly well uh, at this point. And I went to see him a few weeks ago. And we had a good time. Mm-hmm. In any case, um, Gene Roddenberry was fine. Uh, the, the two directors, uh, uh, directors on television are basically traffic cops. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, they block the show. Uh, they may talk to the guest actors about something, but they pretty much... Feel, but they pretty much feel that it's it's not really their province to to um, uh, coach the regulars. Okay, right. So I mean, they figure you're on the show, uh, you've been cast, leave you alone. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Was uh, Lucille Ball ever on set? No, she didn't come around. Okay. No, I saw her on this on, on, on a lot, lot a couple yeah. times. Yeah, because yeah, you guys were at Paramount. Yeah, we were right next door to Mission Impossible. Yeah, yeah. When we started, amazing. Wow. Did you guys ever, like have lunch in the same area or anything like that? Well, we we ate in the cafeteria. We I, we used to sit. We had a oh, this was later. This was we made the first movie. It was an actor named Franklin, and I can't think of his last name. Who was had like a six week contract on our film, mm-hmm. but he had gone to Ju- Juilliard 
with Robin Williams. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. and so Robin Williams is doing Mork. Right. The, yeah. On uh, yeah. twenty. And so he came over. Uh, it's amazing, gentlemen, how much I'm remembering on such little notice because my mind goes up all the time. So you should feel complimented that I'm so relaxed. Thank you. Yeah. I love yes. it. Um, that I remember. And so Robin Williams came back and sat with us every day, oh. which was trying. Was really <laughs> 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 Saps all your energy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, he was the absolute quintessential classic. Uh, example of an actor, a com- comic actor who's never off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's oh, always, on. <laughs> always on. Always uh, on. Funny, funny, funny. Uh, it's getting a little. <laughs> 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 but he knew Franklin, and and so he was there every day. I have oh. to tell you, my dad is going to love hearing that because I remember him vividly pointing at the TV once going, that guy's never off. He's like, mark my words, that, that man is never off. Exactly. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so funny. Yeah. Um, all right. So when you got on set, then what did you think of your fellow actors like Shatner and Nimoy? And- oh, well, yeah, let's go. Through. I mean, we talked about Takai a little bit. Takei. 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 Why? What is your name today? No, everybody says that. And if yeah. you're just thinking... Takei. Takei. Yeah. Takei. Takei Nick. Yeah. Yes. There you go. Yeah. And he has shirts that say it's okay to be Takei. He sold those. Yeah. Oh, When yeah. he came out. Yeah. Um, I do have a, I do have a, a, a story. You guys, you, you, you allow profanity. I'm oh, sure. nuts. Yeah. Good. So, I, so I, I was always being called George. When I was doing this series, he really pissed me off. <laughs> All the time. They, he wasn't being called Walter, yeah. but I was being called George. So I was doing a convention. It was in the late 70s, I think, early mm-hmm. 80s. I was doing a convention in New York, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Actually, it was out near where the Met Stadium is. Okay. And, uh, and it was a huge crowd waiting to get into the tent where we were all sitting. And I had to go to the John, so I got got up from my seat and I walked by all these people waiting to get in. And this guy says, "Oh, hey, George, George, <laughs> could you give me an autograph now, so I don't have to stand in line?" And I had already heard this, you know, a freaking thousand times. So I guess I rolled my eyes. Oh God, another one. And I said, "Look, I'm going to John. I'll come back and I'll sign." So I I came back. I sat down, and. The lines start to come in, and he came in, and he came in with a wad of bills. He must have had several hundred dollars worth of bills, and he put them, out, extended them out towards me, and said, and and he said, "This is what I was going to spend on your table, you sh- fucking little shit." <laughs> And then he walked away. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> and to this day, so, George Takei is getting hate mail and Takei. has no idea why. Takei, Takei, Takei. See, see, see now what you, you caught did. It. You caught it. I from caught me. it from you. I'm the worst. Uh, so, how did I feel about the actors on Star Trek? Uh, I had, I had good. I was so grateful to be there. You know, I mean, I was had a, daily, a weekly paycheck. Uh, or daily, because I wasn't on the contract. If I worked today, I got to pay the day's work. Uh, Nichelle was immediately very friendly. Uh, she was a darling. Uh, everybody else uh, dealt with me very professionally. Uh, Shatner sort of, sort of, you know, was polite, said hello. Uh, I once said to him, I once said to him, I, I remember seeing you on We the People, which was a series he was mm-hmm. on before that. I said, and I thought, I thought you really had a, when, you know, as a kid, I saw this. And he's, and he said to me, how old are you? <laughs> uh, he thought I was 
making a reference to that he was so much older than I was or something. Yeah. It wasn't true. He was like five and a half years older than I was. Yeah. Yeah. And I saw him without his piece. So he, he back in the yeah. wow. Yeah, so he definitely looked five and a half years old. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in any case, so they were all very nice. Uh, actually, Bill, in, in those days, was very funny. He was, you know, uh, brought a lot of humor to the set. Uh, I knew that there was, I heard that there was stuff going on behind the scenes, but I, I wasn't exposed to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bill went and felt that he didn't have enough lines. He actually, he went, actually went to Harlan's house and uh, told me, you know, c- could you build up my part a little bit? Mm-hmm. Uh, that kind of thing. Uh, but but uh, uh, Leonard was was not there. Mm-hmm. Mr. Spock was there, and that was okay. Yeah. I understood oh, that okay. very early that oh, I would yeah. be dealing. I mean, and literally, he was there all the time, uh, hmm. off off camera. It was Mr. Spock. Um, and I had actually met Leonard. I had auditioned for him and Vic Morrow for a film they did called No Exit, I think. See, I'm remembering oh, okay. all this yeah. stuff, which is amazing. Oh, I don't great. remember this. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Now, No Exit, the, the play, right? Yeah, it was the, a play. The, it was yeah. turned into a play. And film. they had wow. me reading for like 45 minutes, but I didn't get it. In any case, so, I, but, so Leonard was, was Mr. Spock. It was Mr. Spock in all the movies. Um, and, but I, 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 I re- respected him. Because I knew that he was a good person, mm-hmm. yeah. that he, you know, that he was uh, uh, socially conscious, socially conscious, mm-hmm. uh, that he had a political per, a point of view that I, I sympathized with, that I empathized with, um, and I and I was amazed at uh, at his dedication to his craft and the way he went about it. You know how conscientious yeah. he was about playing, about being Mr. Spock. So, uh, DeForest was great. I loved DeForest. We used to get on the phone to each other and, and talk about uh, rumors we had heard. Jimmy was cantankerous, but still a very warm and generous person. Uh, and, and Bill was Bill. But it was fun. Mm-hmm. He, he only became such a pain in the ass when we started doing the movies. <laughs> yeah. He, yeah. And that was because, um, you know... I blame T.J. Hooker. That's what did it. Well, I've, I've heard stories about him on T.J. Hooker. That he wasn't he wasn't a good guy here, so it didn't it didn't originate with Star yeah. Trek. Um, but uh, the thing that obje- that I objected to, because in fact, uh, in fact, uh, he, you know, I did this show Raw Nerve, mm-hmm. and and I told him how I felt about how he dealt with us, and I said, you know, and the thing that upset us was that you would change. You changed the blocking uh, so that uh, when we were on the set, so that it would feature you mm-hmm. and, yeah. and, and, it, it, and put us in the background. So he says, oh, so you, you were upset with the writing that you guys weren't featured. <laughs> I said, no, not with the writing. I, was, I, was, I had accepted the fact that we were mm-hmm. secondary characters, yeah. that yeah. you three were the principals, and that, you know, and that the movies were made on the basis of your involvement. I said, it wasn't the writing. It was the fact that after it was all established and there was a close-up of one of us, you talked to the director and it was reversed and it was changed so mm-hmm. that you were the focus of attention. Yeah. But, I mean, that was to be expected, but not for every bloody shot. You know? <laughs> yeah. Right. Sure, yeah. And, yeah. and, that's, and I, I told him that and he wasn't terribly happy to hear that and he denied it. And I said, Bill, <laughs> I said, I, we remember when, when Nick Nunn-Meyer would be directing and, would be, and he'd set up the shot and, uh, and he says, okay, set the cameras, get the lighting going, and then we, you, you'd go, uh, Nick, 
and you take him aside and we'd look at each other and we'd roll our eyes so we knew what was going to happen. Right. And it was changed. Oh, wow. So that's what we objected to. And, that's, and it was the source of, a, of most of the problems that we had was that he, he, didn't, he didn't respect us at all. Mm-hmm. He didn't respect yeah. us. We were the movable furniture and that was about it. <laughs> Wow! Yeah, I had a very weird uh, uh, interaction with him. Uh, no, what? <laughs> at, uh, at this is the best story. Oh yeah, it's so my at, favorite. At Paramount, uh, we shot our our TV show on uh, stage twenty seven and twenty eight, which is where they shot a lot of uh, they shot some some Star Trek movies on those uh, yeah. stages and some of Next Generation. And uh, I I saw. Um, William Shatner sitting across the hall, you know, like uh, by the, I think it was by stage 30, he was sitting on a golf cart talking to somebody and I was like, oh, this is so amazing. I have this really bizarre connection to Star Trek because my grandmother's brother was uh, the guy who created the insurance clause to insure people's body parts. Like that's a weird Thing. Insure people's mm-hmm. what? Body parts. So like Fred Astaire had his oh. legs insured. Oh, oh, that okay. was through my grandmother's brother. And, and mm-hmm. Gene Roddenberry had his mind insured. Is that right? That's yeah, 100% <laughs> true. So that if he was in a car accident and his head was you know damaged or something, he, he would get paid out you wow. know, millions of dollars or whatever. So I mean, it was uh, Liberace's hands. Matt Ma- Ma- Monroe's breasts. Oh, yeah. Oh, there was a whole, <laughs> there was a lot of people that had this done. Yeah. And he was the guy who, had, who was insuring all these people wow. for these. For those, he had for, to examine the parts. For yes, yeah. he did. He really did. Um, but it very specifically and weirdly, uh, I was like, oh, I, I have a good opening line. I'll go talk to uh, William Shatner and tell him how I'm connected to him. And so I, I go over and I go, uh, Mr. Shatner, and this is in front, of like, in front of our crew. Like our crew watched me do this. And I go, Mr. Shatner, it's such an honor to meet you. Uh, hey, you know, uh, my grandmother's brother uh, was the did the insurance uh, and he goes, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> and I go, "He did he when and on the on Gene Roddenberry's brain or whatever." <laughs> and you just watch, you just watch Shatner's face just just sink, just like, "What are you talking about?" And I go, "I go, would it, uh, you know, we when we shoot our TV show on your soundstage, hey, would it be would it, would it be possible we could take a picture?" Uh, I'm a big fan. And he goes, uh, no, meeting me is enough. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone on our show heard, heard him say, meeting me is enough. So for years after that, when I'd go and take a picture, so I go, hey, let's take a picture together. They would just say, oh, no, meeting me is enough. For like years, it was like a thing. And then and then, uh, my my mom is uh, part of the equestrian center in, oh, yeah. in Burbank. Right. And so we went to a big fundraiser together, her and me and... Uh, uh, Jimmy Kimmel's family and all these people were all there and who's the host of the event William Shatner mm. and I'm like oh my god I've got this funny story that happened you know what it's and I'm telling everyone the Kimmel people I'm telling all these people at the table everyone's laughing it's a funny story and then uh, afterwards my mom goes well I really want to meet him uh, maybe maybe if he's outside we'll go say hi and we walk outside after into the equestrian center which is all horses and stuff and there's William Shatner sitting in his car Car's running and he's just texting on his phone with the window rolled down. And I go, I go, let's go over and say hi. And so me and my mom walk up. <laughs> my mom's like 65 years old. And we walk over and I go, excuse me, Mr. Shatner. And he goes, uh-huh. And I go, uh, my, uh, my mom and I were just at the event. Uh, we, we met before at Paramount, actually. And uh, my mom just wanted to say a quick thing to you. And he goes, 
Okay. And my mom goes, uh, Mr. Shatner, I just want to let you know that I really appreciate all the work that you do. And as she's saying this, he goes, great. Takes his foot off the brake and drives away <laughs> while she's still talking. It was the greatest. But it was like one of those interactions. Because here's the thing is, I, I got to work with Leonard Nimoy in uh, San Diego at the Jewish um, Community Center in, in La Jolla. We've... I worked uh, backstage on some show that he'd done. And it's a great... He was very nice. We talked. He gave me a copy of his book. We, you know, but, but that was the end of the story. You know? Right. The Shatner story, it's like stayed, it stayed with me for my whole life. You know? See, that, um, what you didn't know when you began that story was that the only person I despise more than Bill Shatner is Jimmy Kimmel. <laughs> what? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'll tell you very briefly, and I hope this stays in your... In, in, in your in your uh, podcast. Oh, okay. <laughs> absolutely. Of course. I'd okay. love it. Uh, I got a call from his show, uh, like uh, one o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, we'd love you to come down to the show tonight and do a skit. Uh, we have a skit, and I said, it's one o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, it's, I don't have enough notice for this. Thank you, but no thanks. Mm-hmm. And I, had, I had my agent re- relay that. They called back. They would so love to have you. They would so love to. And of course, I'm an actor. Yeah. And, I, and I'm, I, I, you know, I have my breaking point when it comes to flattery. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> the sure. point where I can't resist yeah. it. <laughs> You're only human. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sure. So I said, well, okay. And I, and I go down there, and, and that's all I know. And they bring a limo, and they bring me down there. And they said, okay, what we're gonna, this was when uh, Schwarzenegger was running for governor. Okay. okay. And, uh, and if you recall, we may not, the uh, Gary Coleman. Yes. Little black, small yep. black actor. Webster. No, uh, not Webster. Uh, uh, Arnold. Webster. From different strokes. Arnold from that's, different that's strokes. That's racist. <laughs> that's Emmanuel Lewis. Ar- Arnold from different strokes. Yes. Arnold, Arnold from different strokes. Right. Yeah. They wanted to do the skit about Gary Coleman. Mm-hmm. And what sure. they wanted was for me to picket the, the studio and say, and if you recall, Gary Coleman had a kind of a faux uh, campaign yes. where he was to be, picketing yeah. to be governor. Yeah. And they wanted me to pick at the outside of the theater saying, Gary Coleman can't run for governor because he's too small. Oh. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, I can't do that. Yeah. And yeah. I said, what do you mean? I, 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 can't, I can't make fun of somebody. Uh, that small. He says he doesn't mind. He makes. I said B- bullshit. He doesn't mind. Yeah. yeah. He goes along with it. He laughs. Nobody wants to be told. I mean, that pointed out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they were furious with me. They were furious, and yeah. I said, "Just send me home." You know, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. So they said and said, "Okay." Uh, and they had a script conference with Jimmy Kimmel, mm-hmm. and they came back and said, "Okay, would you would you do it and say he stole your watch?" And I said, "Okay." So I did it. I wasn't good. I was not good. I was mm-hmm. tense. Um, and it was not funny. Uh, yeah. Kimmel didn't have me on the show, mm-hmm. but after I had done it, he got on the show and said, why did we have this guy? This is a D-list actor. What? Yeah, this is a D-list actor, and, and, he, got, and he went off on it. He went off on it about me. And I thought it was so freaking cowardly yeah. You know, if you feel that way, tell me to my face. Yeah. You know? yeah. Uh, and uh, I've, I harbored a uh, considerable resentment toward him since then. And um, in fact, his, I, was at, uh, I did a red carpet thing. Was that what it called? Red mm-hmm. carpet? Yeah. Uh, and his station or his show was there to interview people. 
and I had been saving this up. And when and they told me that he wasn't there, but they, mm-hmm. they were, something they were going to use on the show, but that I don't think they did. Yeah, for a reason you will very quickly understand. <laughs> uh, when they asked me uh, about how do I feel being there, and I said, "Well, I'd rather talk about Jimmy Kimmel, a bear with little brain, less wit, and the." Uh, Personality of a garbanzo. Oh my god, that's amazing. Yeah, that's an incredible. So the only reason why I regret at this juncture, and I'm I'm an old guy now, that that I wasn't more successful, so that I could be asked to come back to the Jimmy Kimmel show (laughs) and tell him that in person. That's very yes. I love it. That's wow. incredible. <laughs> That's amazing. That's an amazing story. <laughs> so uh, let's jump back to Star Trek for a moment. So you, all right. you did the second and third season. The show ends. And it had been, I mean, there was a letter writing campaign to save the show and things right. like that had happened where there was obviously a dedicated fan base. Right. But it was not a huge hit at the time. It did okay. At what point did you know you were part of something special? Like at that point, after it's over, did you think it was just, okay, that's it. It was a nice run. I'll move on and do other things. Like, did you have some inkling that you would have a continuing association with this show? That the show would change the world forever? Yeah. Well, which it did. The the curious thing is, is that when you talked about, I wasn't going to say anything, but when you talked about ensuring uh, parts of your body. Sure, yeah. The the day after Rod Murray called and said we're through, and nice working with you, I called that guy, that insurance guy. <laughs> no way. Because I knew we were coming back, and I knew that I it was going to be I was going to be involved, and I would be. I'm, no, this is all a makeup. <laughs> it all up. I love it. <laughs> so what would you have insured if? You know? The, the whole essence. The, the whole thing. The whole being. <laughs> Ensure your accent. The, the, no, yes. the, the answer to your question is none of us did. None of us had any inkling. When Gene said, nice working with you, I said, well, okay, thank you. It's my, I working with, What's going to happen with the rest of my life now? Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. and, and the next year was disastrous. I, uh, I, didn't, I didn't have a reason to get up in the morning. Mm-hmm. The phone never rang. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I had no direction. I had no... I had a, um, a wife and a baby at home. And in fact, what saved my life was the realization that I had to have a purpose. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I got up every morning uh, after, after the first six months and I wrote. And I wrote mm-hmm. a novel. And I, it, gave me, uh, it gave me an objective. And, uh, and I, I either wrote at home or that became noisy. I went to the library and I wrote there. And I, and I finished it. And I... And after working that hard, I said to myself, you know, I've got to sell this because I worked so hard on it. And then uh, I showed it to Harlan. And I showed it to, like, three science fiction writers, George Clayton Johnson, Harlan, and another uh, writer who actually had a play on Broadway. The other writer and George Clayton Johnson thought it was absolutely publishable. It was a good... In fact, George Clayton, he was one of the writers on Star mm-hmm. Trek, and he also wrote yeah. for Twilight Zone. And he actually gave me the, the title for it. Harlan hated it. Harlan thought yeah. it was just awful. It, it wasn't specific. It wasn't this. It wasn't that. He just tore it apart. So I just put it in the drawer. And I put it in the drawer for 18 years. Wow. And then somebody asked to read it and wanted to publish it. And they published it. It sold 150 copies maybe. Mm-hmm. And then I put it away literally for another 18 years. 
<laughs> Somebody else wanted to read it. They published it for another company. They sold another 150 copies. <laughs> 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 and my hand to God, and I don't believe in God, so it doesn't make any difference. <laughs> but, uh, uh, another pu publisher published it. And that sold maybe 120 copies. But it it's probably holds the record for the most times published. And, and, and they were not self-published. They, I mean, they, pay, they yeah. pay for the publishing. Sure, yeah. And, and the fewest copies sold. But um, <laughs> that's what kept me going. And, and, and that's what saved my life, at least my emotional, my psychological mm -hmm. life, after Star Trek ended, because it was dead. It was dead in the water. Then they started to rerun it. Mm -hmm. and then we started to be invited to con con started to be invited to conventions. Yeah. Um, and well, even, the, even the, at that juncture, I thought, uh, well, this is interesting. It has an afterlife uh, in, 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 in reruns, but it's, and I should, I should exploit that and take advantage of the opportunity to mm -hmm. make some money making personal appearances. Yeah. It, well, was, it, was when, it was when Star Wars was made. Sure. Then Paramount, the, the, the chief executives at Paramount, the brain trust, mm -hmm. <laughs> turned to each other and said, do we have anything like Star Wars <laughs> so we could do that with? And they, they hauled out Star Trek. And after the original series, the animated series came out where yeah. they brought back the entire cast except for you. Yeah. But you did write an episode of that show. Yeah. And that was a terrible experience. Mm -hmm. I mean, the writing was, was difficult. Way to go, Matt. <laughs> Bring up the terrible experience. Well, yeah, I'd I, I love to dwell on the terrible experience. <laughs> um. I didn't know I wasn't, I wasn't going to be in the animated series. We were all coming back to do the animated series. Mm -hmm. I was at a, one of the first conventions I've ever been to in Los Angeles. Dorothy Fontana, who was the story editor on, on Star Trek's mm -hmm. series and was one of the producers on the animated series, had just given a talk to 500 people and they came pouring out of the auditorium and one of the fans came come up to me and said, how do you feel about not being in the animated series? Wow, that's a tough way to find out. Oh, oh that's a God. terrible way. That's to find awful. Wow, yeah. particularly somebody as neurotic as I am. So uh, I said, "What?" And and I I later that day we we convened for a panel, and I said, "Gene, you know, I didn't know I wasn't going to be on the series." He says, "Oh yeah, well yeah, never mind." And he just <laughs> <laughs> never mind. Yeah. Uh, oh my God. But at, at that point, I had already written the, 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 the animated episode. That's mm -hmm. true. I had written that first. Uh, and I would have traded that in, yeah. in, a, in, a, in a blink of yeah. the eye to have been on the series. Was, well, there, was there residuals at the time? Were they doing, was SAG doing stuff like that yet? The being, uh, not for the actors, I don't think there were. I mean, for the writers, there was no, there was no residuals. No, but like for Star Trek, for the original series, was there? Are you talking about films? Yeah, and they were very, very, uh, they, they, uh, Leonard and Bill had a better deal. Mm -hmm. And I think the forest did by the time the second, third year. There wasn't that much better. I mean, they were getting like $5,000 a week, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, at the time wasn't Pretty bad. Pretty good, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, my first year, I got $650, $650 when I worked. And the second year, when I was under contract, uh, whether I did a day or a week, I got $750. Mm -hmm. So I'm, one year, I made $10,000 altogether. Mm -hmm. The other year, I made 11000 And there was a finite number of of rerun payments. Yeah. So when we went into reruns, um, we would we get six reruns payments, 
And then the SAG contract was renegotiated for everybody, mm -hmm. for, uh, for everybody who worked in television, to 10. So, so we got up to 10. But then it ended. Yeah. And we got no more. We got no more reruns. Even though it's, oh. it's to this day still 12 billion still times airing, at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And then what happened was, and it's an interesting story, uh, the name and likeness was a different, mm -hmm. was a different uh, subject. It was a different department. Sure. And... Uh, and we got, uh, you know, we got a small amount of money for name and likeness. Mm -hmm. But they, they exploited the hell out of Star Trek yeah. and merchandise. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, DeForest, uh, Nichelle, and, and G no, not DeForest, Jimmy, Nichelle, George, and I were on a flight to mm -hmm. do a convention. And we were sitting in first class with an attorney who had argued before the Supreme Court. And I started talking to him. <laughs> and I said, this is our situation. Our royalty payments suck. Would you be interested in handling this for us? Mm -hmm. And he said, yeah. So we sat, the, four, the five of us, and he had argued before the Supreme Court, this young man. How lucky was that guy yeah. to, to be yeah. on yeah. that flight? <laughs> and we, uh, we went to Paramount, uh, and we sat down with all of their producers and their executives, and we told them that we felt that uh, we had been... Um, Shortchanged yeah. uh, in terms of the royalties. The, these were not these were not uh, residuals. These were royalties, uh, name and likeness, and uh, I and the and the argument. The main principal argument was that we created these characters. Yes, they were fictional characters, mm -hmm. but we created them. Yeah, and we were in effect stuck with them, mm -hmm. and that limited our marketability. Sure. Because right. we had been known for these characters. Truly. And mm -hmm. on that basis, uh, they changed their minds and they ended up giving us a substantial one-time royalty, mm -hmm. which they said was one time and you must never talk about it, never you know, tell anybody, never tell the press. And we agreed to that. And I, to help me God, the next day, there was a big article about how they had paid us <laughs> and how much they had paid us. <laughs> and Paramount had done it. Oh, yeah. yeah. But it made them look like good guys yeah. instead of bad guys. Right. <laughs> the way they painted yeah, it. I was, yeah, I was wondering about that because I have a, a Star Trek game on my phone that I play all the time. Yeah. And some characters, their voices are included and other characters, the voices are not. And you're one of the people where voices are not. I imagine that's the thing where they have to pay people to use clips from the show, I guess. I don't yeah. Know. yeah. Well, they came back. And I did do several of the games. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, but originally it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah, because John Delancey's on there. Tim Russ, who plays Tuvok, oh, is on there. Oh. Uh, Jerry Ryan, Seven of Nine. Kate Mulgrew's on there. Which, which Star Trek? Star Trek Timelines. Mobile yeah. game. Mobile phone game. Is this the most recent? Uh, uh, yeah, it came out about a year ago. Is this an ad for Star Trek Timelines? <laughs> because we should get paid for that. <laughs> right. I, I, get... I did one about two years ago. Mm -hmm. A game. Yeah, I mean, they might oh, wow. cycle them in and out. I don't know. Yeah, it's probably also like a storage space. Conflict with each other, so yeah. You know, so when you started doing the movies, how did that, like, how did that come go down? Did, did, where, when did you find out that there were going to be movies? Well, again, I, I'll, I'll try to be succinct. 
Please, uh, no, it's fine. Um, do you, do you, your show is, is uh, uh, 60 minutes long? or do you, you However have, long it's we decide it is. However long oh, good. We, yeah, yeah, we're good. good. <laughs> well, in that case... <laughs> um, the summer of 19... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I was born. The, su- the summer of 1975, everybody got a letter from Gene Rodbury saying, get back in shape. <laughs> we're going to make we're going to make a movie. I'm losing five pounds. All of you do too. Yeah. You know. Oh my except, god! Amazing. Except I didn't get one. I didn't no. get a letter like this. Wow. Oh, and no. being of a of a um, paranoid disposition to begin with, I immediately assumed and that I wasn't going to be in it. Right. And guess what? I wasn't. Mm. Uh, I called the office and I asked to speak to Gene, and he was out of the country. That's mm-hmm. always what happens when you need to, something this pressing <laughs> oh, is, is yeah. on your yeah. mind. But I talked to his secretary. He said, oh, Walter, you're being neurotic. You're being silly. Of course <laughs> you're going to be in it. Everybody's going to be in it. I said, mm-hmm. okay. C- could you have him call me when he gets back? He called me on a Sunday morning and said, no, you're not. And, and the reason why is the story I have in mind takes place three years before the series it's been five years since the series, mm-hmm. and you're nine years older than the character you played. Yeah. 14, 17. So you're gonna, you'd be asked to be playing a character that you're 17 years older than. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think it would work. And I said, well, that makes sense to me. I understand that. He says, would you like to play Chekhov's father? And I said, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, they never made that movie. Um, yeah. Paramount nixed it because it had to do with God. Mm-hmm. And uh, too, it was too close. Uh, the, they waited to Star Trek. Pardon? It was five to do the God one. That was yeah, that one, <laughs> and that one was just a bad movie. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. But this one had to do with, with God. And the chairman at Paramount, here's a name I don't remember, mm-hmm. um, was a devout Catholic. And he, uh, he, was, he objected to that film. So that wasn't made, 1975. Then they did come back. They told us, we are making the movie. First they said it was going to be a series. Mm-hmm. Then they said, well, Star Wars came out. It was a big success. We're going to make a movie, low-budget movie. Come in for a fitting. I came in for the fitting. He said, well, you're the only one whose uniform still fits. I said, oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I went home. I was home an hour. I got a call that the movie's been postponed. Mm-hmm. You know? So it was one, you know, right after another, you, you, you tend to become a little cynical about mm-hmm. the whole process, you know? Sure. Then finally they said, we're going forward, we're going to make this movie, come in, <laughs> we're going to have this huge uh, breakfast and meeting with all the media. Mm-hmm. This was, I think, late 1978. Mm-hmm. And uh, we came in, they set up a, 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 a set that looked like the bridge. We all were sitting at our positions, Hundreds of journalists and photographers were there. Bill Shatner was the host. He says, welcome, everybody. It's so so good to see you. (laughs) And um, he says, let me introduce introduce the cast to you. Leonard Nimoy, who plays Mr. Spock. Uh, George Decay, who plays Sulu. Michelle Nichols, who plays Uhura. Uh, Jimmy Doohan, who plays Scotty. Uh, The Forrest Kelly, who plays Dr. McCoy. And... (laughs) <laughs> Mr. Chekhov <laughs> Oh my God It's recorded It's recorded Somebody was recording it I thought that was 
Oh, man. <laughs> so wow. How, how could what happened, what followed, ever be any good? Well, it turned out to be up. It was down. It was good yeah. from there on on. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, that that was, mm-hmm. and that then we were postponed another twelve weeks. So I can't help it, then. It's it, I can't help it. It's it's our yeah. guy. Oh no, it's okay. Um, yeah. Um, if you hear any noise, it's there's the long guys outside. It's okay. We're all good. So then we finally to answer your question. Mm-hmm. See, and I even remembered the freaking question. <laughs> uh, we're on the set. We're shooting the first shot. Robert Wise is our director. The first, the first shot is a, a panoramic shot of all of us at our stations. Mm-hmm. And now I'm at the weapons station. I'm no longer the navigator. Uh, Bill Shatner's wife is the new navigator. But they sweep this, this set, and, and we're all doing our thing. And then um, they say, cut. And I'm feeling nothing. I'm feeling nothing. Yeah. And this is after all these postponements. Mm-hmm. Sure. Then they, call, they bring us together and they said, uh, this is a shot where Captain Kirk comes out of the elevator and Sulu, Uhura, and Chekhov run over to the lift to say hello. Mm-hmm. Let's set that shot up. And they, they put us in position. They start to set the lights. And then I said to myself, my God, we're making the Star Trek movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It wasn't the first shot. It was the, the second, second shot. shot. And that's when I knew we were making the film. Mm-hmm. And where I believed it. Yeah. Wow. And then the first movie was, it's okay. It's not... It was not... Yeah, it was just okay. Because it felt like a reprise of... There was an episode of the original series that was very similar in plot where there was a probe and it wound up destroying right. things and all that kind of stuff. And then yeah. this was the V'ger Voyager probe. Right. If you haven't seen the original movie... Uh, there's the Voyager probe is off in deep space. It's hundreds of years from now, and it uh, merges with alien technology and winds up killing a bunch of people uh, while it's returning back to Earth. But then Star Trek II comes out, Wrath of Khan. That's a movie where you were nominated for a Saturn Award for Best Supporting Actor. Uh, that is probably considered to be the pinnacle of Star Trek. I think Wrath of, Wrath of Khan is the one that everybody points to as being that. If you're going to watch yeah. Star Trek, that's yeah, the best to, they you They tried can get. to remake it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Poorly. Yeah. yeah, they tried. To, I mean, uh, with Benedict Cumberbatch playing Abram, a Seek engine. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Guys. That was not such a good idea. Yeah, no, yeah. because you know Ricardo Montalban playing a Seek Indian. I can see that they're both ethnic, but then Benedict Cumberbatch is whiter than I am playing a Seek Indian. It just doesn't quite <laughs> yeah. work. For well, me. And, and Ricardo was so wonderful. Yeah, you know? yeah, you can't He's so good. Okay. What, what, what that movie had above and beyond all of the other films was a viable. Antagonist mm-hmm. was yeah. somebody who a real who was dimensional. Yes, I mean he was evil and all mm-hmm. that, but you you felt for him. Yes, you know? yeah. yeah. I mean he lost his wife. Yeah, he was yeah. he was it was you know he, he was operating from revenge. Mm-hmm. You know, and revenge is a very human quality, yeah. and he was and he was he was bigger than life. Yes, indeed, mm-hmm. but he was an he was an equal to to Captain Kirk. Yes. And if you don't have an antagonist who is as is as powerful as your end, as your protagonist, then you don't have the conflict that you need. Yeah. And we had that, and that's why it was such a dramatic uh, film and worked so well. And of course, we had that extraordinary death scene at mm-hmm. the end. Yes. Oh, yeah. So and yes. you had the cool beetle going in your ear. They had the cool what? The little beetle the creature. Earworm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Earworm. The stunt bug. It was Maybe a stunt, stunt bug. <laughs> Maybe the scariest thing in Star Trek, as far as I'm concerned, was yeah. seeing that thing. And the way you sold it in that yeah. scene, too. I was like, 
that's really happening. As a little kid, I was watching that going, I don't ever want to encounter that thing. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that was great fun to do because I had always been somebody in the audience watching that. <laughs> yeah, 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 of course. Here I got a chance to get revenge myself on the entire world. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Well, it so worked. Be, yeah, so that one became an amazing awesome. movie. And then uh, Star Trek Three came out, which was more of a lot of comedy for DeForest Kelly, especially when he's playing Spock and himself in the same body yeah. at times. But then yeah. Star Trek Four comes out. And that's, I think, the first one I saw in the theater uh, as a child. And I'd seen some of the original series. That movie is when I became a Star Trek fan, Star Trek Four. You go out and you come back to Earth and it had so many great lines of, yes, and yeah. things of you interacting with modern technology. Like the scene where Scotty tries to work on the computer and right. he like, picks up the mouse and starts talking to the mouse and, and things like <laughs> yeah, that yeah. were just so well done that I think that's... I mean, for me, that's my second favorite Star Trek movie, and I think a lot of people probably agree with me on that, that those are the two, uh, part two of Arthacon and uh, A Voyage Home, part four. Um, yeah, it's reversed for me. Star oh. Trek four was my favorite. Mm-hmm. Star Trek two was my second favorite. Yeah. yeah. Star Trek five is interesting. Uh, first of all, I don't blame Bill Shatner for, yeah. the, for the failure of, of Star Trek five. Uh, certainly not as a director. Yeah. He, yeah. he was prepared. He... Uh, he was uh, present. He was he was there, but Star Trek Five and Star Trek One have something in common, and it led to the failure of both films. I'm, I'm less generous than you are regarding mm-hmm. Star Trek One. Uh, <laughs> it was a snoozer, as far as I was concerned. Yeah. The, the the problem was with both films is they didn't have a last act when, mm-hmm. when we went into production. They didn't have a a, a way t- t- for the action to dovetail and to a dynamic conclusion. Yeah. Uh, we, 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 we shot Star Trek One without a last act. Mm-hmm. Star Trek Five, they had to change it because we didn't have the, the budget to do the effects that the, the Bill wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So both pictures failed because the ending was anticlimactic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... and uh, so it was really for the, for the same reason, as far as I'm concerned. And in Star Trek One, it was sort of an awe-inspiring ending with, you know, you see V'ger and you see space, and uh, but uh, there was no dramatic resolution. Yeah. And, and Star Trek Five, God was not the om- omnipresent, omnipotent yeah. uh, being that it should have been. You know. Mm-hmm. Star Trek Six was a was a good, strong film. Yeah. I I I, I had a terrible time on Star Trek Six. Because I, I've, Nick did a good job. He, he wrote a, a good film. Again, it was difficult to be working with Bill because um, he was changing things all the time. But I thought that if we did a sixth film, it, we would each have a moment. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. our swan song. It would, yeah. they, they, would, they would give each character uh, a, a deserved moment you know, beyond the three principles. And that was missing. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I couldn't let that go. Mm-hmm. So I was angry every day I, I was on the set. It was, it was childish on my part. It was immature. But, um, but I, it was important to you. It was important to me. And it was important to you for other actors, I think it was important too. to you for the fans, too. I mean, we yeah. wanted to see that. Yeah, I'm sure. I, I see. I never felt that the character had really been... Uh, Developed, mm-hmm. you know, it was it was always, you know, it was an expositional character. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Chekhov said, "I, I, Kipton, and warp vector for Kipton," <laughs> and occasionally he would say, "Kipton, what is that out there?" 
and which gave Bill a chance to go into a long emotional <laughs> story about his right. life. And, and else, you know. So we were there. To, if we had lines beyond I.I. Captain, it was to set up mm-hmm. Captain Kirk and, sure. and, and some of the yeah. other actors. So I, 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 I received so much uh, as, as we had all as as all as we all had. So much acclaim and and and, and reinforcement and uh, so many accolades for work that was not there, mm-hmm. as far as as far as I was concerned. I mean, I I wanted to be appreciated, but I wanted to to, to earn mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that I felt I couldn't earn it. I felt I didn't get an opportunity. So when uh, you know this this gentleman came along who did podcasts and. Mm-hmm. And in in uh, upstate New York, asked me to do an episode of Star Trek uh, as Chekhov, which would be a sequel to Deadly Years. Yes, Deadly Years was the episode where everybody grows old except Chekhov, mm-hmm. and and the, the story that they had in mind, and which Dorothy Fontana actually wrote, was Chekhov suddenly be- starts to grow old in mm-hmm. three days. I said, I've got to do this. Yeah. I've got I've, oh, I've got yeah. I've got to do it for me. I've got to do because I've got to bring this character to life. I had a, yeah. I've, I've, I've been living a moribund character as mm-hmm. far as I was concerned until this until this point. So I went up there and did it. I did it for me. I, uh, and then when I was given the opportunity to play, and I still I felt better. I felt better about it. Um, I felt you know there weren't going to be a lot of people who saw it, but I felt that. I I had dimensionalized the character to mm-hmm. some degree, and then when I was, and when then when I was offered to, to do it again in Star Trek Renegades, mm-hmm. uh, the gentleman who was the producer was a friend of mine, uh, and I thought I could, again I could add to the character even though he was like uh, 120 years in the mm-hmm. future. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, or the character was 143. Mm-hmm. I, I I did it, and then they asked me to come back and do it one more time. Mm-hmm. And I said, "I'll do it one more time um, if we can kill off Chekhov." Mm-hmm. And that was the intention. Well, as you know by now, uh, uh, CBS uh, obtained the, the rights and the licensing to to Star Trek, yeah. and we were not permitted they to pr- quashed all the fan films like that that had come yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. We, we were not permitted to go forward. Using any Star Trek references, mm-hmm. so didn't stop us from making the movie. Yeah, we just suddenly Chekhov was suddenly Admiral. Yes, yeah. We we changed the design of the ships. Mm-hmm. Uh, we changed the, the design of the costumes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we made the movie. It's called Renegades Requiem, mm-hmm. and it's it's got I, Tim Russ in it. Tim Russ directed, directed? it. Okay. He directed it as he did the one preceding it. Mm-hmm. Love and, Tim Russ. Yeah, yeah. he's a, he's a Good guy, good director. He, he played Spock, I mean, the, the Vulcan, very well. Um, we've had a, we had a good cast. We had a very mm-hmm. strong cast in this last one. It's going to be out in about a month. Awesome. It's going to be oh, available, cool. and I don't think we're going to be um, we're going to be uh, under the uh, heel of CBS because we have we have eliminated all the Star Change Trek it. references. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it it can be released in more ways than simply uh, on the internet. Terrific. But I I don't know how it will be. Mm-hmm. But it's one that I and I I think for for no other for no other reason than my this moment mm-hmm. I, I'm glad to have done this because I'd like 
to make the public aware that we have made this film, and I think it's a pretty good film. Awesome. And, well, and I, I think, look forward to seeing it. Yeah, Renegade's Requiem. What are the names of the podcast and the film that you did the checkoff reprisals in? Oh, we got we got those. Oh, we have. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. I, don't yeah. I want to no, make Star sure. Trek. <laughs> I just want to make sure people <laughs> okay. can. Access you know, it, you know. Yeah, I don't know. So, so this one is no longer is no longer Star Trek. Yeah, Renegades. yeah, it's called Renegades. Renegades, Renegades Requiem. Requiem. Yeah, Renegades <laughs> the Requiem. Okay. Yeah, that, and you'll it, recognize all of the actors because they're mm-hmm. all from the different yes. Star Trek. Uh, oh yeah, Nichelle Nichols is in it as well. Yes, and yeah. Nichelle is, in, in, and then the and I've Terry. Um, Terry. Yeah, Terry Farrell. Farrell. Yeah, she makes her first appearance in one of these. I've heard. Interviews with George, and he's talked about how it was very important to him to have the character Sulu advance through the ranks in Starfleet. Like, he wanted to come back as a captain in a future movie. He didn't want to come back just as a guy working on the ship, and that's sort of why in, in later movies he had his own ship, and they came in and right. saved the day. Right. Was that important to you for Chekhov to have him move up those ranks? Like, did you really care about the character Chekhov, and you wanted Chekhov to do well, not just Walter Koenig to do well? Well, you're talking two totally different points of view. Mm-hmm. I think it's part of George's family culture, mm-hmm. you know, respect. And uh, uh, you, if you advance through the ranks, it indicates a certain respect for, who, mm-hmm. for, for, uh, for, for you and the character that you're playing. So I think he felt that it's important that the character grows. Yeah. And to me, you could made Star Trek six and have broken me to an ensign, <laughs> thrown me in the brig, and given me a four-minute soliloquy, and I would have been in love. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's been. about, for you more, it's about extending the, uh, the, the, the character of, of and, and as an actor, being able to grow as the, with the yeah, character. Yeah, as a character. That's, yeah. That's, that's, that's the only thing that was important to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Chekhov had a, a line in Star Trek Four where he's coming out of a coma or something, and he's, he says, Chekhov, Admiral which everybody loved, you know. <laughs> I mean, I thought it was a funny line, but yeah. it was not important to me. Yeah. It's not important to me. Um, have you gone back, like in later years, have you gone back to do theater again, to do live, to do live theater? Do you still enjoy doing any of that? Or not well, really? I did. I did go back. In fact, Mark Leonard, who played uh, Spock's father, mm-hmm. was a wonderful actor. He was a wonderful actor. Yeah. Tremendous authority. We did several plays together. Uh, we did a couple of one acts, that we toured briefly on the West Coast, but we also did a play called The Boys in Autumn. Uh, Should we stop and... No, keep going, please. Uh, We we did a play called The Boys in Autumn about Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn uh, coming together, having a reunion 40 years after the fact. Wow. And and they both have a a secret that they are reluctant to divulge, uh, a secret in their lives. Hmm. And it was two-character play, we 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 um, ran it out here in a small theater in in the valley, and we were extended, and then we took it on the road and did it. We did it at conventions, and we did it and we did it at a 1500 seat theater in Hershey, Pennsylvania, and we did it at a, a college in in Louisiana, and it was a terrific experience. In fact. Before you leave, I'll, sh- I'll show you the, rev- the L.A. Times review, mm-hmm. which oh. is, uh, was quite wonderful. Um, so we did that together. Um, I did, you know, uh, Richard Hatches? I'm uh, not Richard Hatch, Richard um, Hurd. Richard Hurd, who was in, uh, in T.J. Hooker, uh, he played the captain. Okay. And, and he was also in several Star Trek uh, incarnations uh, in the series. 
he and I did a, a play. Now, here, he, not, now I'm, I'm going to go black, <laughs> blank here. But it was one. It was the two character, one act. Uh, it was it was great. We did that at conventions, and we did it. We did it in L.A. Uh, so I, I, I've done that. And I've also directed theater. So uh, I, I, did, I directed a play called Fastest Clock in the Universe, which had its uh, Los Angeles premiere in our production. Oh, uh, I love it. Um, well, before we wrap up, we have to talk about uh, your the next film that's coming out. And this one uh, is being released, uh, released uh, April 11th of this year. Uh, and let me tell you the plot. You ready mm-hmm. for the plot? I'm ready. I'm going to do it in, a, in, the, in like movie Believe voice. Guys. In this movie voice. Ready? <laughs> in a madcap future era, the world's greatest secret agent struggles. <laughs> To rescue his young son from the clutches of an infamous former mentor, <laughs> Neil Stryker and the tyrant dun, of time. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> 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 that was we should we should get that filmed because that's hysterical uh, those were not from our soundboard by the way yes. those sound effects oh, that's all Walter um, what a fun cool looking movie too with like with great people David Ogden Styers and uh, and lots of uh, lots of lots of really fun people and um, I uh, I heard you had a very good time with with Nick Costa the the writer oh on yeah that. This, it, it was absolutely the, the, it was they shot it in Portland, Portland Oregon. Yeah. Uh, I went up there to shoot. It was one day. Uh, what I found so fascinating, with these guys all in their mid-30s, excuse me, their mid-30s, and they always wanted to be filmmakers. They always wanted to make movies, particularly Nick. And Nick had $10,000, and he felt he, he could make a movie. So Nick f- discovered that, that $10,000 wouldn't take him very far. So he decided to pick another profession, and he became an attorney. He went to law school. He's an immigration lawyer, mm-hmm. for which I commend him. Uh, but that's his day job. You know, uh, he, he saved money from being an attorney to make a film. And he made Neil Stryker. Uh, and they were all very into, They built a, on, on a soundstage, which I think they improvised. And I'm sure it was a real soundstage. They built an entire forest out of paper mache. Wow. I mean, the trees and the leaves. It was amazing. Now, I was only in the last 10 minutes of the film. Uh, these are, and I haven't actually seen the whole film. I have seen the part that I'm in. And it's extremely funny. Uh, not mm-hmm. because of me, but because in addition to whatever else they, they go through in the film, they end up in this enchanted or magical valley. And when you pass a certain point, everything changes. And, and you go through a portal of some kind. And the inhabitants are puppets, are really evil-looking puppets. <laughs> oh yeah, they're like Jim Henson-looking creatures. Yeah, I mean, they look yeah, awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and and you know, there, there is you don't see the hands that are you know holding, operating them. And uh, there's a young Russian uh, technician uh, as part of their crew, uh, young guy in his twenties, and when he and they they go through this portal, and he has to go to the bathroom. And he, he, he goes to behind the tree to pee, and when he comes out, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> so as, as an old Russian guy. Oh my so my, I do my whole part with a Russian accent, I'm, but I'm supposed to be this guy who, who's aged like 60 years, you know. <laughs> um, 
but it was great fun, and we have a huge battle with the puppets, and uh, it, and and the effects are great, and and it's, and if the whole movie is as as much fun as the part that I participated in, I think it it'll mm-hmm. it'll be absolutely. Uh, uh, something for people to go to. I know it's it's done extremely well in festivals. One yeah. festival they won best actor. Another festival they won best picture, best screenplay. So um, uh, I recommend everybody to, to take a to, to look it up when when it comes out. It's coming out in April, right? That's well, great. yeah. And Rob Taylor, who's the director on it, uh, director and lead actor. God, so. Uh, so cool! Such a funny, such a fun, interesting guy, and uh, I'm a big fan of Nick Costa because Nick did um, some. He's done some really great stuff. He he wrote. Um, he worked. I know. I think he acted in and did a little work on uh, on. Oh, he acted on in in a, in a movie called My First Mister, which was kind of fun on uh, mm-hmm. a, a cool movie. But yeah, I'm a big I'm a big fan of uh, passion projects, and oh and, yeah, and mm-hmm. you can tell this has a lot of passion. They put a lot of their own time and resources into Absolutely. making something really cool, and uh, I can't wait. I can't That's wait great. to check it out. Yeah. Can I ask you one last Star Trek question? Yeah, before we please, wrap up, please. Yeah, do you have a favorite episode? Favorite episode mm-hmm. of the series? Yes. Well, that would be. Well, I have two. One which I was not in, mm-hmm. and one in which I was. I think the best episode of all time was "City on the Edge of Forever." Yeah, that's my favorite. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that was so touching, and I mean, you don't, you know, you go to a movie theater, the, the screen envelops you. Mm-hmm. You're watching television. There's there's always a, the physical distance, and the fact that you're bigger than it mm-hmm. keeps keeps the film at, at arm's length. The story at arm's length. You never get quite as involved and mm-hmm. as engrossed by what you're seeing as as you would in a theater where the actors are live or in in a movie theater. But this story was so touching and so compassionate, and uh, and so well done that that that's my favorite. Uh, Spectre of the Gun is my favorite episode that mm-hmm. I was in because I had a lot to do. <laughs> I, I got the girl. Uh, mm-hmm. I got killed. Oh, by the way, that was a moment of of, of illogic, <laughs> and that I had brought to the, to the uh, production's attention, because the, the story, if you recall, um, it's all an illusion. We're on this yes. planet, and and everything that happens is an illusion. And as soon as we know that it's an illusion, it can't affect us. Yeah. But Chekhov is killed before we know that it's an illusion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he he could not have come back to life, and. And why I felt compelled to tell the story editor to that, because I, I thought I was writing my own epitaph <laughs> by, by doing that. He, uh, but I did. I said, you know, this doesn't make sense. Yeah. He should have, he should have died. And his reaction was, yeah, we thought about it. Nah, fuck it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Some of the best stuff comes out of that. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I love it. I love it. So it's not Space Hippies. That's not your favorite. <laughs> not Space Hippies. I forget space. the name of that episode, the one with the Space Hippies. Oh, no, it wasn't. Yeah, because no. it, you know why it wasn't? It wasn't not only because, of, you know, when is Herbert a dirty word? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> My God. It's, if you haven't seen that, you, you need to go look that one up because it's the most ridiculous episode of that series. I think that's <laughs> the campiest thing I've ever seen. Well, and the fact, from my point of view, it, they just changed the character. Yeah. All of a sudden, yeah. he was this uptight, uh, anal, anally retentive <laughs> yeah. character no who's, who's quoting the Federation on what you should and what you shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. You know, he was not in sympathy with the hippies. He should have been in, and he yeah. said, yeah, that's, he should have said, that's a great idea, you know. 
That's the way I felt. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I, I know we're we're kind of coming to the end of the mm-hmm. the show. Um, is there a way if if our fans want to reach out to you or, or find you on the in in the internet? Do you have any sort of like a like a website? Do you have anything like that that people can Twitter or Yeah, I do. I do. Um, I have I have fan mail here that goes back to nineteen the, the twenty fourteen. He doesn't need our fans to reach out no, to him at this point. I know. <laughs> and, and, uh, I, I, you know, and I'm, and I will, I will send. You know, the, the stipulation is you can. I mean, I'll accept fan mail if if you send me a self-addressed stamped envelope and a photograph, mm-hmm. and I will autograph it and send it back. Well, eventually. do you still do autograph signings at conventions? I do. I, I do personal appearances. When are you? Pl- do you have any that are coming up? I have one in Denver next month in mm-hmm. April. Awesome. Uh, and then I have. A big one. Uh, that, that's pretty big now. The Denver yeah. one. Yeah. I have. I have. Uh, I have London. Uh, I have New Zealand. Uh, last year I did sixteen. Wow! Because, because it was the fiftieth anniversary. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Uh, so I was all over the place, and I'm really. I love being there. I love being at conventions. I love being around the fans. I really do. I mean, part of an actor's makeup is the is the love. You know. Yeah, you, you, of course. And. And they're a captive audience, particularly if it's a Star Trek convention. I mean, I've been to anime conventions where they don't know who the hell I am, you know. But they're but they're, the Star Trek conventions in particular, they're extremely supportive and reinforcing. And let me yeah. just say to my friends in Denver, where the official Star Trek fan club originated, treat him like royalty when he's there. Come yeah. say hi to him. Yeah. Have fun. Get Get his autograph. He's awesome. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, well, getting a chance... Uh, you know, getting a chance to come to your house and sit down with you and getting to talk about, you know, your career and your life and see all the things that you've co- that you've collected. Because as a, uh, I mean, me and Mike are both like huge toy collectors and sculpture mm-hmm. collectors and stuff like this. So, I mean, it's a huge treat for us. And Matt, uh, when I told him, uh, when you called the other day, it was we were on the way to our show to do our live show, and he almost had a car accident. He was so excited because I put you on speakerphone for a second because he was in the car with me, and he was like, he, he was just like, I can't believe it's happening. And, uh, you know, um, we're... We're we're huge fans of you, and I can't thank you enough for letting us come into your home and sit down with you and chat about uh, about everything. And I hope that we get to do it again sometime soon. Well, that would be terrific, and I, and I'm particularly pleased that uh, you guys did a session with Jimmy Pardo, my yeah. son-in-law. Oh, Jimmy Pardo! Uh, yeah, he's uh, done our live show. He performed on our live show. Great comic. and we absolutely love Jimmy Pardo. He's an amazing comedian. His his wife, my daughter Danielle, is a, is a she started it with stand-up, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and she writes, and she writes all the time. She's, she's a freelance writer, but she writes for, she's written for Nickelodeon, she's written for Disney, she writes speeches for Guild Awards. Uh, she's, she's terrific talent, uh, and, uh, and you should probably have her on sometime, too. Oh, we would love that, absolutely. Yeah. Danielle sure. Koenig. Mm-hmm. Oh, I absolutely. Mean, 100%. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, Matt, where can people find you on the uh, internet if they want to find you? Uh, you can find everything about me at funnymat.com, or if you think that I missed a question I should have asked Walter or I asked something I shouldn't have said, let me know at mattwalkersucks.com. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure they will. Yes. Uh, uh, Mike? 
I am at Mike Black Attack on all social media. I'm uh, at Stephen Glickman, S-T-E-P-H-E-N Glickman on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. And of course, uh, don't forget to subscribe to the Nighttime Show podcast. Leave us comments and share with your friends. We uh, we love you, buddy. This was incredible, Walter. Thank you so much. Absolutely Thank you. great fun for me. Yeah, just a total and complete blast. And don't forget to check out Neil Stryker and the Tyrant of Time. Yeah,